and it's time for the weekly Q&A that we call Splunk Talk. Episode number 59, recorded Friday, September 16th, 2011. Schooled by the noob. Oh, we'll get to why we got schooled by the noob. It's another fabulous, fun-filled episode of Splunk Talk. Michael and Maverick are in the house, so let's do some Q&A at Splunk Talk. I gotta have more cowbell. Hi, Maverick. Hi, how's it going? Oh, that sounded so weird. Uh, it's going good. Um, it's fabulous. What a busy week. Lots of questions, customers, stuff. No kidding. What did you, you know, we remember we had user conference like last month? Yeah, just a couple weeks ago. And what did they last... make us do this week? What did they, they made us do our presentations again for right. the internal folks. Yeah, we had to redo on WebExes. Yeah, so we uh, Maverick did a session, a cool session called Splunking Outside the Box, where he does all these really cool ways to use Splunk that are mostly not related to IT. And then I did a session on Regex. And it well, was, it was more, more than just Regex, as you showed a lot of good best practices and like things. Actually, and I, all the things that irritate you and stuff. I did a session on how to be awesome. <laughs> and and how to not get irritated by I thought you know. I think I thought that was funny, but anyways, uh you know <laughs> I'm downplaying it as we usual. did these for internal folks because the internal employees at Splunk really weren't allowed to go to Splunk user conference because it's not that they weren't allowed, but it's just most people are doing their real jobs. But if you attended Splunk user conference and you think some of those things should be shared uh, because we recorded them all. I don't think they're all going to be released if any, but if you get any, give us any feedback because I'm going to, I'm going to record, I'm going to re-record mine and post it, but I think some of that stuff should really be out there, but we need some feedback from users. So so you're you're soliciting for feedback for like for marketing so that maybe they'll release it is what you're trying to do? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. All right, I wasn't sure what you were trying yeah. to do there. Yeah, because those I, things like are usual. not planned on being released publicly, but I think they should be because they're good sessions, like yours, totally. Yeah, you're just biased, but no, I just, I just, I appreciate that. But no, but I'm, I was just trying to figure out what you're trying to do. Like normal, I usually don't know what you're trying to do half the time. But uh, you're, but of course, we, you're the only one who who doesn't know uh, that. That's that's why I love you. Yeah, but I'm a technical, <laughs> I'm a technical geek, and I kind of make it my living to try to figure out stuff that. That aren't, isn't easy to figure out, so maybe that's okay. Yeah, okay. That's why that's why we get along so well. Um. So yeah. So where are you? Been? You're in Austin still right now, right? Yeah, I'm in Austin. Yeah, and I'm up here in Dallas. Um. So we're not traveling this week. No, we're, we're not traveling, traveling. but we it. are Splunk talking this week. So yeah, we are. Yep. Splunk talk. Okay, we got a couple of Q and A going on. We got some Qs and some As. Yeah, and then we got the reason why we got schooled by a noob at the end. So you want to make sure <laughs> you right. stay at the end and make sure you hear that story. Well, actually, because I want to make sure I we release our embarrassment to the world. Well, it's not really an embarrassment. It, you know, the funny thing is that like we come up with titles for the shows a lot of time based on stuff that's in there. And uh, well, we'll get to the what did we learn this week? Where our good buddy Jesse, who's a new new splunker, now well, he's coming up on eight months. Something that. We didn't know that he taught us, which is cool. But first but question. I have a question. For first you, question, J. Eric Maverick. Thank you. Okay, here it goes. I need to set up an alert to tell me when a host stops sending events to my central Splunk indexer. 
Based on the forwarder's usual and customary activity, if I have forwarders that don't necessarily send data for an hour, and some that send data in real time, how can I distinguish to eliminate false positive alerts? Hmm. Let's see. There's probably several answers to this, but I'll give one shot. Maybe you have a different idea. Okay. Not one shot, but I'll give it a shot. So there is an app that you may be using called Deployment Monitor. If you're on the latest version of Splunk, let's say 4.2 or older or newer or more recent, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's called Deployment Monitor. And this app is, its job is to keep track of what your Splunk is doing. That means tell you how much you're indexing, give you reports on what the indexers are doing, for license purposes, and if they're getting overloaded, like mine always seems to be in my cloud environment for some stupid reason. But um, there's a section on the homepage of Deployment Monitor. So by the way, if you don't have this enabled, enable it, because it's yet another free app. You're not charged for any of that data that goes into that index, and it gives you a lot of details. But there's a section on the homepage of Deployment Monitor called Forwarder Warnings. And there's a couple of them that I might consider setting up. There's one called missing forwarders. I have zero, which is awesome. A missing and a missing forwarder is a forwarder that's connected at some point in the past, but not in the last 24 hours. So you know maybe somebody rebooted a machine, or the forwarder is down, or maybe the network is down. Right. And you can the cool thing is you can click on there's a button that says configure alerting, so you can configure the alerting and you can change that time range. So let's say if it hasn't connected in the last four hours. That's looking at the forwarder and its ability to actually make a persistent connection. Um, another, there's another option there as well called quiet forwarders, which means that uh, if a forwarder has connected or even is connected in the last 60 minutes but isn't sending any data. Right. So that's a simple example where you might want to alert on that uh, so that the software is actually working, but perhaps the source is not sending data. But um, what do you what what approach might you have taken, Maverick? What to that one? Um, yeah, just the, this particular. I mean, question. well, well, I probably would go your what the way you're talking of course. first. No. I mean, but but but, but there we were is, talking about this earlier because you know we talk yeah. about this, and, and you had a well, different idea. Well, yeah, because well, it's not that much different, but it's just um, just maybe a different way of thinking about it. Um, well, first of all, you, you got you want to look at things like you know, is it really you're trying to find out when a forwarder is not sending data, like the forwarder's down, or if it's really the source, like you're saying, the source is stopped, and maybe in your environment you expect something to be continual all the time, and if it's not continual, then that is a that means something else. The forwarder is sending fine, but something else is happening, like kind of like what you're alluding to. Somebody shut um, down a service, maybe or. Yeah, it could be, yeah, it could be anything, or it gets an indicator that some, you know, something else, like like it may happen intermittently, and they discover that it's happening, and they want to know when the when the source stops sending, it stops being generated or being captured, um, yeah, but the but the server's still up and running, so that's kind of a different idea. So so there's a there's another um, well, there's a couple ways to do it. Um, we have a metrics log, for example, that captures how many bytes are coming in from each host and from each source type and each source. So you could do some kind of a search there to figure out an average uh, of that or uh, do the a delta like we've talked about in other, other calls. Um, and that is used by the um, deployment monitor app metrics log and stuff Cor- like that. 
Cor- correct. But there's another one that you can, which I think we've talked about before, but also might apply here. Uh, and it's kind of how we used to do it, I think, where you pipe to the metadata command. You mm-hmm. just do, you, you just don't do any, you don't search anything. You just put up first char- first thing in your search is a pipe character metadata, and then you like type equal sign hosts, plural hosts, and you'll get back uh, a last time and the recent time and the total count type type. And the first time it's it's come through, so you can take that raw data that that those statistical I'm sorry those time based data, and you can maybe figure out how long it's been since a host has reported anything in general, and then um, you know you take that you could probably come up with a search to to figure out which ones have taken the longest or haven't reported in a while. Um, but then the other part of this question that's kind of key to me. Uh, that stuck out to me was that you have some hosts that are sending continually and then some that are sending every hour, like maybe batch jobbing it or something, um, which is very reasonable that you might have that hybrid. So you may, there's nothing wrong with having two different searches, one for each condition, right? Yeah, and, like your list of hosts that are like the ones that are batched because right. you obviously don't want to alert, like if a batched server is going to send every hour and a real-time server is sending in real-time, you don't want to get false alerts because there's some hosts that are only supposed to send every hour. Right, right, exactly. And and the uh, and I would say that on average that every person listening probably could look at their searches that they have that they've been trying to put into one search and probably could break it into two and simplify both of them and make it way more easier to maintain. Even though we all try to be geeky and, hey, I want to do it all in one search and be cool, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it probably could be more practical to and simplify it. And in any part, in some of the search, if you were to break it into two, some of that search might be the same exact part of the search. It might be the exact same string. And then you just put that, you know, abstracted into a macro that you reuse on both of them to where then if you ever change the logic that applies to both of them, you can just change it on the macro, that one place. It makes it even way easier to maintain. So so I just always want to kind of promote that a little bit more as I've been using it myself and it just, you know, I don't have a lot of time. So Well, another uh, thing, dude, is you're if you're looking for – these are two different actual cases. It would be advisable to do it in two searches because you're – are you going to want to run this search looking for stuff that is hasn't been sending for an hour every 15 minutes, five minutes? No, if you know you're supposed to do forwarders are supposed to send every hour, then run the search like every uh, hour or something like that. Well, what, what right? it, yeah, yeah, the whole point is that you're going to have a yeah. thresh, two different thresholds, basically, that you sure. have to exceed in order to fire the alert. So. Why don't you, you know, abstract it into two so you can maintain the threshold? So it will change, and each person will have a different threshold. You might even need the third one if there's a special condition on one of them. Though the batch is always or late or something, and you want to to make sure you don't get the false positive, which is really the root of the question. So I just wanted to make sure that um, that that be, is something that you're thinking about, and you know, trying as a best practice, right? Don't always try to do it just in one big huge church, even though it's kind of cool if you can. It is cool. Um, you know what's kind of interesting is the uh, that you might want to check out too is the homepage of Splunk Search actually uses that pipe to metadata uh, command. So mm-hmm. it, it 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 does it uh, in a, in what we call a real time search. So there's a real time search that's basically it doesn't use a windowed search. It actually just shows the actual total. You know, I think it's real time, all time. Right. But um, y- there's a very good example of that search actually executing every time you load the good old Splunk search app homepage. So, yeah, I have a question for you. 
Okay. All right. I need to restrict my user's view of specific transaction views based on each of their roles. Okay. Okay. I set up user access controls to do this, but realized that I first need to perform a lookup of a special business code based on the user's ID that indicates if they're allowed to view a specific transaction or not. The lookup works great on its own, but now the access control does not allow any user to see any transaction. It's like it's overkill. Any ideas <laughs> what my issue could be and how to fix this? So that's quite yes. So so let me get this right. You got some users, and then you've got like a business code that should say the following people that have this code mm-hmm. should not allow to see certain transactions, right? Right, but okay. if it, yeah, but if it's in a lookup, then um, and they're going to store this code in a lookup. Yeah, that's, okay. if that's the case, yeah, that's what it sounds like. So um, then, okay, so then the access controls, let me think about this. The access controls are going to have um, filtering that you can put on. You can say certain things that they can and can't see. But if it's a transaction, so so I think I see what the problem is. So if you can't, if there, nothing is showing up like what he's saying, it's probably because the transaction's occurring, and then he needs to apply the business code to search where that code is true for that user, where the lookups, so the lookups happening and the uh, and the filtering of what they can and can't see happens after the transaction, which I don't think the user access control that doesn't apply after the fact like that. It only applies pre, right? Which then means you may not get all of the things you need in your transaction. So so if you put it before, uh, I could see where that would not that would not work. So what you'd want to do is you'd want to like do like we've talked about before. I mean, this is my idea. Maybe you have another idea. Um, like we've done before, like have a form, make a form that you tie access control, uh, tie to the access controls for that person's role, so they can only see and search on their particular dashboard or particular form that you create for them, and then you hide the the lookup and the the post searching of the business code afterwards in the form behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't know. Um, That's pretty complex because the thing is, our um, roles based access control stuff only allows you to limit the search based on search terms, not search commands. Right. So let's say that being said, you can't say, or wait, can you say, can you say, well, well you can, field, you can probably, can, oh, you can put a field value in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can put a field value, but I think what's happening, if you, because maybe with regular searches, but when you're talking about a transaction, you've already piped to the command, right? You've already piped it, so it's already now it's doing a meta. So they're trying to search. So you need to still have all of the things available to get what's part of that transaction and then search the business code that shows up somewhere in that metadata, in that, I mean, yeah, that meta right. event, that grouping transaction event, that, that grouping of many events together. The business code is probably in one of those events that gets grouped together is what I'm thinking. Um, and, it, it, and if that's the case, then you'd have to do it where you pipe again, like we've, like we've talked about, right, to search where the business code is equal to true or business code. Well, to- yeah, the only problem is you're not going to be able to do that automatically. So let's say, for example, business code equals one, two, three. Mm-hmm. If you put that in the user's role uh, and put a search filter in that says business code equals one, two, three, provided that field exists, right? And maybe that field exists via automatic lookup. Um, then it's going to filter the events prior to getting into the transaction. Um, right, and you'll you won't get the other things that don't have the business code that's yeah. part of the transaction. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, um, this is you can obviously do something like this if uh, you wire up. Let's say you wire up a form. Maverick's idea of wiring up a form would be the best way because then you can put all that logic inside the form 
but it's still not going to totally prevent the user from actually seeing that data if they have access to the raw data in that index itself. Well, not unless you okay. Well, then you got to, case, if you, you're if right. The user you're right can about get that. to a search view. They're still going to actually yeah, so, see raw so, data. Yeah. So what you want? Yeah. So what you want to do? So I guess what you want to do is, is say um, you create a only the views they're allowed to see, and you can tie the views, the dashboards, to their role, right? So they Correct. only can see the yeah. role, the dashboard you created. They're not allowed to see the search app. They're not allowed to see a search view to search it ad hoc. So that that would be a restriction, but that's probably what you would want. Anyway. Yeah, you'd also probably. I don't know if you can limit the REST API access. Um, so somebody logging in on port eighty eight zero eighty nine, because the REST API will actually let you run a search. It is based on your user roles. So if one could, because so if you wanted to really protect yourself, uh, this is some area that I think we probably need to do work on. And there's another situation that came up as far as masking data um, that we're kind of having a difficult time with um, without using two separate indexers. But you probably want to look at the roles to, one, limit the views people are, have access to. If you don't want them to actually get access to raw events themselves, then maybe make an app that doesn't have the search view in it and just has a couple of views that people can look at stuff in. Because then it's going to be really hard for them to actually get to the raw data. But there's not a perfect answer to this in the current version of Splunk. The only other solution that I would say is... Take the stuff that uh, is allowed to be looked at by certain people and put it in a separate index, okay, and set the role so they can't get into that index. And then the people who can get to see it all and the transactions are created. But, right, you know. And, not- if, you have, and if you have a particular situation like this, I mean, this would be a good way to, a good time to solicit for feedback for that from, from the listeners. Now, or you could school us something- too. If you have a better solution to this, yeah. uh, you know, write in to Splunk Talk at Splunk.com. Let us and, know. Uh, and and let us know. Um, so we've got splunk.com slash page slash events. Last yep. week we talked about there's it's Splunk live season coming up. Um, there is a coming up after this episode, Oracle Open World. That's Oracle Open World totally ruined San Francisco. I mean, it's good because Oracle's lovely, but yeah. it's just, so huge. It's it so shuts huge. the city down, man. I swear, it's like the taxi, they, they actually the, block off streets. I think the taxi drivers love it, though. Oh, yeah. Well, the taxi drivers love it when anybody comes into town. Yeah. Um, oh, F five is doing a forum over in Singapore. That's cool for the folks that listen to this. And Citrix's Synergy is coming up on October twenty sixth and twenty eighth. That's in Barcelona, Spain. That's cool. Barcelona. Um, Barcelona. So there's, you know, Splunk has really become this worldwide thing. So if you happen to be listening, we do have listeners uh, across the pond, that pond being the Atlantic Ocean and potentially the Pacific Ocean. Over in that part of the world, when we thank you for listening, and uh, there is stuff going on there as yeah. well. So, and, and also, just so I want to put a plug in for, since we're doing announcements, for the couple things, Dallas User Group, uh, oh, Splunk right. User Group, happening October 11th, Tuesday at 6 o'clock. Oh, so if, you, if you're in Dallas or Fort Worth area, please come out and meet your fellow Splunkers. And we're just going to have a good old pe- time with some pizza or barbecue or something and talking and stuff about Splunk. And then also, just Maybe another plug. Maybe I'll have plug. you broadcast that. 
That'd be, that'd be kind of cool. That'd yeah, be I can get cool. that. Maybe we can we'll... get that on going on Splunk TV, just like we did at user conference. I'll, yeah, I'll... yeah, yeah. We'll totally. We may totally do that. Just put a webcam probably... up and just so I can watch because I'm. Yeah, I don't. Home. Yeah, and I don't know if it's going to be. Uh, to tell you the truth, I don't know if it's going to be uh, presentations and things like that. It might be a little bit. I think it's just going to be. We're just going to share and try to see if we can help each other cool. and just see, you know, where people like usually like where people are having problems and where we can all help and some have a lot of brain power in the room, so might as well do that and then maybe share stories and stuff. So it'll be kind of, kind of fun. I may, I may surprise everyone some Splunk trivia and things like that. It'd be kind of fun to do. Um, and then also just want to make sure we plug for uh, Splunk user conference 23 or 2012, which is next year, one year from now, we're going to, st- I want to start early because this next year, it's going to be in Vegas That's at, awesome. the Cos- at the Cosmopolitan hotel. So kind of swanky. You- yeah, it's going to be really cool. So, so we're going to do this now and get you guys already you know, seeds planted in your mind. So you're already planning and thinking, oh wow, this time I want to go out there because we're expecting buttloads of people to show up um, this next year after this last one we had. It was just it, unbelievable. So Vegas Cosmopolitan 2012. Yeah, and if you you know we did broadcast some of Splunk talk um, on the web, and we had a few things that were being broadcast on the web. I personally believe that Splunk should broadcast more of user conference on the web so that those who want to get be there, because, man, if you can go to a conference, go to a conference. It's a heck of a lot better than watching on TV. Right. But if you can't and you're stuck somewhere in the world and you just want to participate, uh, send an email to marketing at Splunk.com and tell them broadcast Splunk user conference and the sessions on the web, please. <laughs> um, so the ones obviously that you know are relevant. You might have some customer presentations that they might not want to be broadcast, but a, there's a lot of nerdy sessions out there that would be beneficial to everybody. And uh, you know, I'm a champion of that. And help me out, and maybe we can get more and more stuff available for everybody on the web. So yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So, uh, so I guess that's it for the, all right. For, for the- Let's, what do we what did we learn this week? What did we learn this week? Did we learn we get schooled? Uh, well, I'm gonna, yeah, I guess we yeah. got schooled. <laughs> yeah, so here's here's why we got schooled. Well, not why we got schooled, because, you know, Wild's like a regex guy, okay? And one of the things I've been talking about for a long... I actually use yeah. is uh, a field extraction that comes from another field, okay? So if you use the rex command, you can pipe a search to rex. Like, for example, um, maybe I have some web logs, and the file name, let's say, is called, you know, episode35.mp3 mm-hmm. and episode35.xml. And I wanted to go ahead and figure out file type. If you pipe that to Rex and you say field equals file, field equals file, and then you do your Rex to pull out, you do your regex to pull out the extension, right? XML versus M4A. That'll work just fine. But I thought when you wanted to persist it, you had to go in and create a field extraction and a field transformation because that source key it's coming from is normally stored in transforms.conf. But our totally awesome newbie dude, uh, Jesse Miller, um, we're only joking because he's really smart and he's been here since like February. But um, he, he... found something that I missed for like two years. And that is if you take this Rex and you persist it. So let's say, and now in props.conf, you can write your regular expression. And all you got to do is add 
the end at the end of it type in in and then the field name so i might have put my regular expression that was looking for the last uh, extension of the file name put right. it in there with my field the same way i do in rex in props.conf or in field extractions in the ui at the end you just put in file name and it's perfect, which is so fast because it's hella slow to create a field extraction and a field transformation in the Splunk GUI. Yeah, I mean, so, we've been doing it with the Rex command. We've always known about it, but then in props, we just—it was just—I guess we overlooked that part in the doc. I mean, it's been there for a while. I didn't. Oh even yeah, know how, did, how then, do you and, how'd you know it was? How did I know it was there for a while, dude? Because you went and looked it up, and it was like uh, looking at different ver- former versions, right? Yeah. You saw when it disappeared, and it's been in there for a few versions. Yeah, go to, so. go to splunk.com slash base, which is where the awesome docs are. And yeah. you know what? Here's a tidbit. Here's another thing I learned. Okay. This documentation system that we built, which is a lot of it's based on MediaWiki, yeah. um, is being open sourced. Oh, really? Yeah, it's called Pony. We're going to call it Pony Docs. And, really? Uh, that's what's being called, and Ashley Jones is working on it. But <laughs> a lot cool. of folks have looked at our recent documentation and the way we've done it and are like, well, I want some of that. So yeah. apparently it's an open source project. I found this out the other day. Anyways. That is very, very cool. So if you go to the non-open source do- uh, pony docs, which is docs.splunk.com, and search on props.com. Okay, So just search on that and find props.com. And it will te- you'll, you can look under there... Um, uh, you can look in there and you can see the section under where you go, you know, where it's talking about field extractions and you can say in the field. But there's also a version number at the top. Okay, Splunk will always refer to the version that you're on if you click help from within it. But I was sitting there going back all the way to 4.0 and I think it's actually still there. It's like I've missed this concept for two years, which is stupid. <laughs> so new dude schools us, episode title, boom. What did Maverick learn this week? Um, I was, yeah, besides that, uh, I learned, uh, about, I, I read Simon's blog. It was Simon's first blog. He was a blog virgin. In Simon Shelston? Uh, uh, yeah. Shelston, um, or Shelton or whatever Shelston, we call yes. him. Uh, yeah. We, Simon Shelston. He's a director. We gave He's a director yeah. of business development yeah. of, uh, something. Yeah. Yeah. He's, we <laughs> have, you, we have various, yeah, something, we have various nicknames for him, but yeah, like Shelston or, or Samurai or what is it? Samurai or I don't know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he wrote a blog for the first time and was all bragging about it. And we were real, actually, we were really happy that he did. Cause it was really, it was a really good one. If you want to like, go to the blog, uh, blogs.splunk.com. Um, you slash can see author slash Simon, I think slash right? author slash Simon. Uh, he talks about this uh, anonymous proxies and how and how there's this app on Splunkbase called Get Watch List. It's an add-on actually, mm-hmm. and it's the get it's the get get watch list, and it will give the APIs. And then he shows how he does some searches to do some like eval and some of these other th- commands to clean it up. And uh, you know, make it where you get a list of the APIs, and then you it out you output it to a to a um, CSV, and then you're able to get a lookup going basically to to see which uh, you can search which IP addresses are actually anonymous coming from anonymous. Yeah, and alert, alert off. We're really coming up from anonymous proxies, right? Because right, right. You know, people use anonymous proxies for a lot of things, and often it's to hide their IP address from uh, going to you. Sometimes people use anonymous proxies inside their corporate office so that their company can't uh, see what they're doing, right? They use SSL proxies and things like that. Sure. But um, how do you tell which is which, right? And this is a cool way 
on Simon's blog. It was really cool. So I'd, 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 so I'd, I'd learned about that, and I thought I would share that because if you haven't seen that, you should go check that out. It might be useful. Some, someone listening might find that useful and kind of cool, just like I did. So. You know, speaking of that blog post, at the end of it, he says something like, uh, you know, Splunk safe searches can be used for alerting RSS or even to kick off a shell script. Mm-hmm. And then it says something about Splunk create remedy tickets. So if you're a remedy user, you click on that, and it takes you to a uh, question inside of uh, Splunk Answers. Answers, yeah. Yeah, and, and answers.splunk.com. And apparently uh, there's some links to a Java program that'll let you uh, plug in Remedy into Splunk. So that's Yeah, pretty, it's like a little wrapper. Cool. That's yeah, pretty I cool. Guess. Yeah, pretty, pretty sweet. So Yeah, if you haven't heard of Splunk Answers, that's answers.splunk.com. You should check it out. You should see you can get points like we do. I don't know if I'm all that high on the list anymore. I used to talk about it, and when I kind of fell low on the list, I was like not so much bragging about it. But I think I'm back up again because I'm helping answering more questions. So if you and my badges, I'm like I got I got a few questions like over one, two, three thousand hits. You know, on some of the questions I have. So I'm really happy about that. But you, you, you two can geek out like me, and you can be part of Splunk Answers. So if you haven't uh, signed up or tried it, you should totally try it. Yeah, that's up on Splunk Base. And just so you know, we are going to fix the community now. We have a bunch of people that are helping out and responsible for it because the Splunk's community really is bigger than answers and apps, and there's blog posts and all this stuff. So we've been collecting a whole bunch of feedback and coming up with a whole bunch of ideas even to let you, the user, begin to publish things on there if you wanted your own blog or other things like that. So it's going to take a little while, but we're going to clean it up and make Splunk Base a heck of a lot um, better than it is right now, although it's Yay. definitely a lot better than the way it used to be. So, mm-hmm. Alrighty, how do they get a hold of us? Um, you send your questions, comments, feedback, or criticisms, or... Criticisms? What? what a constructive... <laughs> constructive. <laughs> Constructive criticism to Splunk Talk at Splunk.com. One word, Splunk Talk. Let me say that one more time. Splunk Talk at Splunk.com. One word, Splunk Talk. One One word. Splunk Talk. One word, one more word. Uh, Have a fabulous week and one word put together, no spaces. Happy Splunking. Happy Splunking. Oh, this is about to take off.